Whether you are a startup or an established entrepreneur, nothing communicates your company's message better than brilliant branding. With over 25 years in the business and over 250 companies named, expert Phil Davis and his team at Tungsten Branding will enlighten, brighten, and illuminate your mind so your brand will shine. Get ready to flip the switch and spark your imagination. Welcome to Brilliant Branding with hosts Phil Davis and Liz Heemstra. Well, branding friends and family and fanatics out there, we hope you brought your pith helmet this week because we are navigating the trademark jungle. And this is where Aaron is supposed to, we paid him for that bird call. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it sounds like we're actually in the jungle. Yeah. Oh, well. Maybe when we, maybe next week. <laughs> Sound effects, dang it. But we're navigating the trademark jungle and we're looking for successful uh, trademark strategies for that trek. Yeah. Um, and this is something when we when it comes to naming and branding that we always get to. This is, um, unfortunately, sometimes the killjoy part of it. Uh, right, right, because be. then you get super hyped about Don't a name. It. We're just like yeah. setting up our guests today, aren't we? <laughs> And introducing the king of killjoys. <laughs> no, we'll get to that. We have a wonderful, yeah. wonderful, awesome guest. <laughs> yeah. But I guess on our end of things, we come up with the most creative name ever. Ever. In the world, yeah. in a billion years, only to find out that um, it's not going to pass muster. And it's really not the trademark attorney's fault. It's usually no. those people at USPTO. Right. Exactly. Those, those people in the cellar. They're just, you know, don't shoot the messenger, right? Yes, right. <laughs> the ones with the thick books. <laughs> and they consult the dusty writs of common wisdom. <laughs> and, and so, anyway. So, if you've ever tried to name a company, uh, brand a product or a service, you've probably run into the issue of trademark. It's a bit like running the gauntlet. And as some of you may recall, the game of Frogger, so popular in the, uh, in the 90s. <laughs> The goal was just to hop across the road without getting squished. Yeah. And sometimes that's what it can feel like when doing a trademark. What about this one? You know, nope, not so much. And then right. one almost gets across the road and it gets killed. And in that frustration, sometimes we'll see clients that get so desperate. It's like all the names get prettier come closing time. <laughs> well, this one is not. There's just it, but there's no <laughs> trademark. I think the trademark would, well, that's because no one in the world would want this. <laughs> So let's get on to our guest. Our guest today is Brad Walls, and he is the attorney, an attorney at Winthrop and Weinstein, and also the CEO of Bob. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to talk about that. It's an online trademark search tool. I wouldn't say it's a tool. I'd say it's an actual platform. Yeah. Um, very robust. And we'll get to talk about that as a way to, uh, to, to navigate this jungle. So we want to welcome Brad. Are you on with us? I am. And, uh, Thank you so much for having me and then for that really nice setup. That I, can nice setup. I can be the wet blanket at you, uh, on your show. That's great. <laughs> 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 oh, no, no. no, no we're we're going to be talking about things that uh, are going to avoid uh, getting squished, right? And how to avoid yeah. it. So. You're going to be, you know, a.k.a. Mr. Greenlight. You know, I've got a guy that, exactly. yeah. Yeah, yeah. he can also be the bearer of great news. Yes, he's, yeah. the, the, you know, it's all go. Go, yeah. go, go. Yeah, do That's it. Right. So, That's right. So, for the purpose of today's show, we've got a lot to cover, and I don't know if we'll get through it all, but hopefully we'll, we'll cover the majority of the burning questions and issues that we face here 
daily at Tungsten Branding because we deal so much with consultants, startups, entrepreneurs, people with great big ideas. And a lot of them are, you know, you know, maybe not new to business, but new to trademark. And I'll get asked questions. And sometimes, um, Brad, and you, I must run into this every day, they're head scratchers because I'll try to explain why, yeah, yeah, it does seem like that would work. But here's some from my experience why that might not be a go. Um, and so let's just start it and frame the conversation today by just telling us, lay the kind of the groundwork of the principles that govern trademark. Give us the kind of the 50,000 foot view of what trademark entails in terms of what is trademark and what does it involve and what is the, the trademark office looking for in terms sure. of you applying? Sure. Well, you know, just the legal definition of a trademark, it's very broad. Uh, so really, any matter that includes words, designs, configurations of a product can all function as a trademark, provided that those elements or that matter is capable of indicating a single source. So there's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of room to select um, a trademark for any good or service. And multiple multiple. Uh, pieces, whether that's the word, logo, configuration, they can all function as a trademark for the same good or service. So I know we're going to be talking today primarily about, you know, selecting those names. Um, so that's what the trademark is. Now, the, what the trademark office is doing is they're going to reward, and what the law rewards is creativity. And that oftentimes presents some tension between the company who wants its trademark to basically function in every respect to communicate what their product or service is to the consumer, right? They, they, they right. oftentimes forget about the importance of ad copy, and they want that name, they want that word to communicate immediately to the consumer what they're, what they're selling. Um, and oh, the yeah. law is not going to reward them for that. So the, the law rewards uh, companies that are creative with their names. And to assess the creativity of a particular name, the law has created this spectrum, which is referred to as the spectrum of distinctiveness. And it's basically a category, roughly five categories of, of, uh, of protectable words, or, or you know, where, where that word is going to uh, land on this sort of spectrum of creativity. Sure. So it's like a graduated scale. A graduated scale, exactly. Okay. So if we think about it on the left hand of that scale, uh, there are generic terms. And a generic term is something that really answers the question, what am I? And if your proposed mark, proposed name answers that question when you're thinking about it in the context of the goods or services that are going to be sold, then it's going to be generic and it will receive no protection um, as a trademark. If we then move to the right on that scale, the next category is going to be a descriptive mark. Now, a descriptive mark is something, again, that immediately describes a feature, characteristic, function, the nature uh, of the goods or services that are being offered. So it's not generic, but it's, it's certainly describing some element, some important aspect of that good or service. There, too, is where the trademark office is not going to award any trademark rights, and I should pause there. The trademark office doesn't award trademark rights. Uh, trademark rights are 
created through use, not registration, in the United States. But again, mm -hmm. no trademark rights will be created through the use of a descriptive term, at least not immediately. And we can come back okay. to that if you like. Then. Yeah. Um, so then the, the third category is going to be a suggestive mark. Now, a suggestive mark is very similar to a descriptive mark, with the exception that a suggestive mark does not immediately describe a feature or a function, characteristic of the goods or services. It, it instead suggests it. So the law looks at these terms and says, does a consumer have to stop and pause, if even for a second, to really understand, fully understand what the good or service is? Now, I mean, you can even just tell from that description. I mean, that line separating descriptive and suggestive terms is very narrow. Yeah. But you, you want to desperately try to fall on the right-hand side of that line into the suggestive category. Because if you do, then the first time you start using that term in commerce, you're creating trademark rights. So the, the trademark office is going to reward you for that. Um, and again, it's not the trademark office. It's just that's what the law is. Um, okay. Then the final two categories are going to be uh, arbitrary, which are descriptive terms, or not descriptive terms, but they're, they're terms that we, we know. They're in our language, uh, but they're being used in an uncommon way. So the, the classic example is Apple. Yes. You know, but we understand what an Apple is, but when you apply it to a computer, it's being used in an arbitrary and unusual way. And then the last category uh, of terms on this spectrum of distinctiveness is a, a coined term, and that's that's a made-up term. So, again, one of the classic examples of a coined term is Kodak. Yeah, or uh, Xerox. Xerox, yeah. <clears throat> right. So, you know, as you, you know, as clients are working with you, and I know you're, you're striving to, um, you know, help them uh, fall on that right-hand side of the uh, spectrum as far as I assume that they can go, um, because... Mm -hmm. Not only does that mean that the minute they start using that mark in commerce, are they creating trademark rights, but it also has an impact on that, on the conceptual strength of that name that you are creating for them. So in this case, it's good to be on the right, the far right, is what I'm hearing. If you're far right. From a trademark perspective, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a great place to be because if you're on the uh, as far right on the spectrum as you can as you can be, which is a coin term, yeah. you will receive from the law the highest level conceptual strength that you can receive. Right. It's you know, yeah. It's really helpful as you kind of go down this path of building a brand, and ultimately, you want as a company to have the strongest brand possible. So that number one, but number two, it also helps when it comes to searching. Uh, you're oh, much absolutely. less likely to run into a conflict with uh, an already registered mark or even a prior pending application for a mark if what you're considering is a completely made-up word. So it's it's but it it's oftentimes, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well. It's a harder sell to a client to say, "Why don't you go forward with this completely made-up word?" And it's it's harder sell, I think, because there's more work that requires that company to engage in in the marketplace in order to educate their 
consumers right. about what exactly they're selling. Sure. We sometimes call those empty vessels. So we have our own on our side of the table. And this is why it's great to have this conversation. We'll phrase it. You know, we don't use the same terminology. Well, you'll say, like, is this a positive connotation name? Is this a descriptive hybrid name? Is it whatever? But it, it has that same sense of, we'll say, well, this isn't as distinctive as this name. Yeah. Um, I thought there was also, and maybe I'm duplicating through, isn't there a, 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 a category that's fanciful? I've heard so that used. Coin, coin slash fanciful is the same, same kind of uh, category on that spectrum. Okay, so that's I've heard that bantered about, and I, I thought of like um, I'll say to clients sometimes, and you just tell me if this is right or wrong, when um, you have a name that's as strong as like Xerox and it's made up. Not that that's from a branding perspective the best name. I think you can create invented names that have kind of an ishness to them, um, but if if you were to use the Xerox, I mean, if you opened a daycare, you would not call it the Xerox daycare. Even though it's not even the same goods and services category, it is so distinctive, you would probably make people think that Xerox was opening that daycare. And so we're going to jump ahead, but there's how many goods and services categories and talk about how you can maybe using these different categories, if you had a really strong mark, is it good across all of these mark, uh, these categories? What is there, 120 uh, well, there's 45 international classes. 45 um, classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the way the trademark office, and this is something that we often have to educate our clients on when it comes to conducting trademark searches, which is the international class system is simply an organizational method that the United States Patent and Trademark Office adopted to organize the millions of applications that they receive every year. The, the law is pretty clear that the actual class number itself has no bearing on us, the assessment of whether or not there's a conflict with a prior registered mark or a prior pending application. What really matters is relatedness between the goods or services, which relatedness is not bound by class number. So. Some goods classified in one class may be, a court may have found them to be related to goods in another class. Um, so that's, that's point number one that we always need to make sure our clients understand. Trademark rights, though, are limited to the goods that they are used in connection with. So when you go to then enforce those rights, if that's something that as a company or client you choose to do, you are entitled to enforce against similar uh, or closely related uh, goods or services. In the case of an example that you explained, Xerox is, a uni- is in a unique position because I think they have been around for such a long time and they have probably achieved fame. Yep, we're going to get and, to that. We're going to get to that. We're jumping. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so fame is, so when you achieve fame, and it's, to achieve fame for purposes of, a, of dilution, which we can talk about in more detail too, but that, um, it takes a long time, and, yeah. you know, very, very few brands actually achieve that, that level, but when you do, that gives you the ability to 
enforce your rights against, in your example, um, a service that is completely unrelated to what you initially applied for, which was you know, copying machines. So basically you get trademark superpowers once you become famous. You know what I mean? It's not like you, you level up in a game. Yeah. You, you become, yeah. yeah. So, so that's it. So the, the basics of this, what I hear is that there is this spectrum kind of from generic descriptive up to coined, um, invented. And the more invented, the more you are in that scale, the more protectable you are. And then there's classifications, but it's not determined by the classifications. That's just an organizational system. What is what it is, is you want to be as unique as you can and as far away as you can be from people that are related to your goods, products, and services. Is that a fair summation? That is a, yeah, very appropriate summation. Yep. You feel free to use that. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That was not trademark. Well, this is a great setup. So we're going to flip over to a commercial break. And on the backside, we'll dig into the, some of the, the nitty-gritty nuts and bolts that people face every day, the real-life questions that we get asked, mm -hmm. why can't I? Right. You know, and this is when you wish you could just have, we'll get into Bob here, just ask Bob, right. the new platform, um, and yeah. talk about how you can get your trademark clear. So you've been listening to Brilliant Branding, and we'll be right back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Your brand is your story. And getting your story straight is the most critical and challenging component of your brand identity. That's where we come in. We're Tungsten, and we're naturally wired for brilliance. We'll help create, clarify, and communicate your brand message in ways that will make you shine. Whether you're a startup, entrepreneur, consultant, or an established business, we'll use our tools and talents to build and brighten your company identity. Why struggle with domain searches, trademark issues, and endless brainstorming when the Tungsten team can create a clear and compelling brand name that strengthens your image? Having named over 250 regional, national, and international companies, products, and services, Tungsten has a trusted track record for successful brand creation and implementation. Our proven process will focus your brand and put you center stage. Visit us at tungstenbranding.com for your free quote. That's tungstenbranding.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Brilliant Branding. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at tungstenbranding.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
Hello and welcome back. We have good fortune to have Brad Walls today with us from attorney at Winthrop and Weinstein. And we're continuing our continuing education mm-hmm. on trademark. And uh, Brad, first of all, thanks for coming on and and really laying the groundwork in, in that first segment. That was very enlightening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we live and breathe this stuff every day, questions, and we still sometimes it seems pretty foggy to us. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of things seem foggy to us. <laughs> right. So I, I'm going to give you a little curveball here. Um, so you said, for example, you can't use a descriptive word and get it trademarked. You can't be descriptive and, 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 and trademarked. But yet in our business, let's say we come up with this idea and we said, you know, what are the basic things that you would sell in a store? You call them staples. Staples are basic goods. Mm-hmm. So when staples went to sell basic, you know, office goods, how come they got a trademark for staples when you could argue that that's kind of descriptive, wouldn't it? Yeah, that is. You know, give me the staples. Yeah, I, well, so they more likely were trying to apply for, if I and I don't have their file in front of me, but they probably filed for something that wasn't descriptive, right? So maybe it was a retail store service featuring something like office supplies, right? So if right. you if you remove it from the the direct good that's being sold, um, that immediate mm-hmm. connection that the consumer needs to make with the good that's being offered right. is severed, right? So that it's often right. a strategy that we'll employ with um, our mm-hmm. clients when they are trying to if they've just settled on a on a, a a name that they really love, you know our job as a trademark lawyer isn't to be this doctor. No, you know the guy. We we try our best to find a creative way for the clients to uh, get the protection that they want with the name that they love. I, I like that treachery. That's right. a that's a wonderful strategy. <laughs> right. So essentially, you're saying like Staples couldn't solely sell Staples right. and get that trademark. Right, that would be a problem. Yeah. But if okay. you right. take staples and you try to use it in with a good or a service that is removed from the staple mm-hmm. itself, right? Then it's right. Right. They just had to add paper. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now you could be staples. Okay. <laughs> These are the nuanced questions I get asked. Yeah. You know, like, well, how come staples got a name? That's just you know, or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you some common questions that we get asked. Um, every day so we don't have to take the heat um so uh a common question i get is why can't i just add a word to it and i know this is one of those really weird ones where i this comes up all the time so we looked up the word luna one time which is kind of i don't know if it's latin for moon or it's related to the moon or whatever and uh, we were told by we use other people's counsel sometimes they say or our attorney told us this or that or the other thing and they'll say oh you can't use that you can't trademark it well we you know we can access the uspto and it was almost like that can't be taken because it's in use but there was probably i'm going to say over a hundred marks with luna in it and luna miel which is honeymoon in spanish there was luna one luna star luna mark Luna this, Luna that. And every one of them had a trademark on them by adding one word. And yet one of the most common things I get is they'll say, well, I love this. Can't we just add a word to it? Because the trademark, there's a company that has that, that name. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is the, is there an answer? Is it a nuanced answer? How do you respond when people go, 
Of course you can't add the. I get that one too. Why can't we right. add the? <laughs> yeah. Um, so what you're what you're talking about in the Luna example is what we refer to as dilution. So yes. when when a crowded field exists for a particular term mm -hmm. that is used in connection by by multiple parties, different parties with either identical or related goods or services, you end up with uh, dilution. And what that means is that the common element, in your example, Luna, is so conceptually weak that consumers are really going to pay attention to any other matter that is attached to Luna as the basis to distinguish between Luna marks. Now, when you go to, if that's your situation, if that's the landscape when you're looking at a particular name, then adding another term may be sufficient. And depending upon the extent of the dilution, even adding a, a generic or a descriptive term may be enough. Because even though the generic term or descriptive term by themselves is not protectable, when we're looking at a likelihood of confusion and the similarity of the Marx factor in particular, that gets considered as a distinguishing element. Now, you're certainly better off adding a, a, an additional element that is in itself inherently distinctive, so either suggestive, arbitrary, or coined fanciful. But right. it really depends on that, on that landscape. Um, mm. So what so you'll I, see, and I know we talked a little bit about this in terms of using Bob, but this online search tool I created, when you conduct a trademark search, the way you can tell if dilution is present with a any given term that you're searching is that Bob will return a yellow light, and it will give you the results that will support that that yellow recommendation. And you'll be able to see the common element and then also see what these other parties have included with that other term so that they can peacefully coexist with everyone else. Well, that, that's great information to have. And, and real quick, just give us, in case we, we don't have time, just give us the uh, web address real quick for Bob. Sure. It's the www.trademarkbob.com. Okay. So just if you're out there and we forget to, to sign off with that, you we can and we're going to delve into that. So here's an example, too, where we get to almost every client that we get that's in consulting comes up with a name like Apex, Pinnacle, Summit, um, Paradigm. So we had a client that one time said, well, we want to do Paradigm. And I said, well, that's probably one of the most overused. Everybody thinks those are creative, but uh, we call it like fire camping. When you go camping at a at a very popular camping spot, everybody collects firewood right near the, the fire. So it, we know not to look for firewood right around the, the fireplace. We go deep in the woods looking. Um, deep woods off. See? It's all <laughs> brands. It. Yep. <laughs> so we go deep into the woods. So uh, we get this. So this one client of ours just said, well, just add a word on it like alliance or something. And to your point, you know, it must have passed because I said, well, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to get have no problem and no one's going to bother you because the paradigm is used so much or or you're going to get 700 lawsuits, you know, <laughs> you know, and he managed to get by and he just added the word alliance. I don't it's a, not a strategy we recommend. But what I hear you saying is it's doable. So it's, again, nuanced. If no one had ever used or if only one company had used Luna 
then you'd probably warn them off is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. I mean, if there's only one that's using Luna, then there's no dilution. Dilution starts to appear when you see three or more registered trademarks that are sharing the same common element. So, that's great information. And, that is solid yeah. information. And I did not know three, that. Yeah, at about three, you start the the trademark office starts saying, "Yeah, there's, there looks like there's some dilution here," um, but obviously it's not very pervasive. So, you know, you still run the risk at that level of of being refused uh, registration if you've applied with the trademark office. So. You know, it's just it's one of those business judgments that need need to be made. Now, if you see 10, 20 registered marks all all sharing the same element, you can feel a little more confident that, okay, if I had another term here, I'm probably going to be okay. Um, so. Okay, another – so here's a nuance on that one. So we had a client one time, and we had suggested a name, and let's just say it was Key Mark, you know, just kind of – we call these positive connotation names. And it was the domain name, and I'm just using that as an example. Um, yep. So let's just say the domain name was available. We secured it. We looked it up on USPTO. There was no Keymark, you know, company or or whatever. Well, their counsel came back very conservative and said there is a company called Key Insurance, right? So you can't use it. So can one company roadblock? And and I they certainly, to, in my estimation, weren't famous. I'd never even heard of them. Can you roadblock it if somebody, if you have a kind of a two-word name? Because this is what the strategy we employ a lot because it's so hard to own one word anymore mm -hmm. from a domain perspective and legal and everything else. So a lot of times our, our names are creatively kind of jumbled between two great kind of concepts. Right. Um, so what would, you, what would you say to that? Was that person just being extremely conservative when they said, no, someone used the word key, so you can't use key anymore in, in the entire insurance industry? <laughs> well, I, I guess, you know, again, it, 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 part of it goes to how closely related the goods were or the services are because there's an inverse relationship between how closely related the services are and how then – Similar, the marks need to be in order for there to be there there to be an issue, and that's an inverse relationship. So the more more close the marks are in terms of sight, sound, and meaning, then the less related the goods need to be for there to be an issue. So you know, depending upon how those services came out, I you may substituting a word attaching it to key may have been a, a sufficient change to avoid an issue without even considering dilution. You know, the next thing you would take a look at, obviously, is, is the dilution factor on key. And if right. key is being used, and now, again, some, some people take a too narrow view of dilution when they're making that assessment. It's not dilution on the identical services at issue or good at issue. It's also considering related goods and services. So you broaden that universe, you broaden that scope, and when that consideration is made, maybe key is diluted. So when you then come, so when you compare the relatedness of the services with maybe some dilution on key, uh, it very well could have been that the attorney that gave the opinion um, was being overly conservative. Yeah, that was that was my impression. You know, because yeah. here is a candidate in domain. Okay, so great. 
So uh, they were wrong is what I'm hearing. And, <laughs> and we were right. As is often right. the case. So um, here's another one. Why can't I use my last name? I just want to start this business, um, and my name is McDonald. Um, and I've got this other friend whose last name is Disney. Uh, it's their real name. So why can't I use my own name? How can somebody trademark my name? So uh, trademark law considers a surname to be a descriptive mark. So there's no – you cannot start using your name as – part of your business or a good or a service, um, and immediately create trademark rights. But a surname, like any other descriptive term, can acquire rights. Well, that's what you are saying law. earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So they can acquire rights. And the trademark office says that there's a presumption that a descriptive mark will acquire rights if it is used for a period of five years. Uh, and there's been substantially exclusive use of that name for the particular good or service that that's being offered. And so then after that five-year mark, you do start to create trademark rights in your name. And unfortunately, that name and those rights are treated just the same as a made-up word or, you know, uh, or a suggestive word or a an otherwise descriptive term that acquires rights as well. And so just because it's your last name does not does not unfortunately give you the right to use it as your the name of your business if someone else has has acquired rights in the same last name. Okay. Okay, that's helpful. Yeah. So tell us your opinion on the use of acronyms. We get this a lot where people have their name is just so long it always ends up getting reduced to an acronym. So what are your thoughts on acronyms? Uh, what are the pros and cons, or if there are any pros, and your thoughts on it? Because this is one of the number one reasons we get for rebranding or renaming a company, is it's <laughs> become an acronym. It's meaningless. It's fighting every other acronym out there. Um, or it's or all of a sudden the acronym is something like ISIS, and it's mm -hmm. been their name. And then it becomes ISIS or WTF, <laughs> the World Taekwondo Federation. Yeah. Um, right. So what are your thoughts on the, the productability or the, just the strategy or the thought of trying to go with an acronym? Well, you know, it's, acronyms are more difficult from a search perspective uh, because when the trademark office examines an acronym, they will not only examine the acronym itself, but they're going to also uh, examine the long form of that. And so mm -hmm. if there is a long form of an acronym that's already registered out there and you come in and say, well, I want to be the acronym of that, you're going to be refused on a likelihood of confusion basis. Mm. Even so though they're not using the acronym, right? Right. Even if they're not using the acronym, right. I mean, it, it's not because the trademark office is going to look beyond just the acronym itself and they're going to try to understand what it stands for. So it's the same mm. thing. Oftentimes clients will try to avoid uh, mere descriptiveness refusals by saying, well, I'll just use the acronym. I won't use the actual long word. Exactly, exactly, right. Well, yeah, unfortunately, the, the trademark office, the first thing you're going to get from them is what does this acronym stand for if, if they can't find it themselves on the Internet. I mean, one of, one of the trademark office's favorite websites is uh, Acronym Finder. So, I mean, it's, it's one mm -hmm. of the first things 
resources that they look at when they encounter a, an acronym, uh, abbreviation, or even a nickname, right? So, um, so that sounds like a good tool, acronym finder. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, you know, it's um, it doesn't make the process any any easier. I think, uh, as a from a, a legal perspective, if if clients decide to go with an acronym. Um, but in fact, you might be opening yourself up to something a, a more more involved search process and then even examination if you do. Okay, so so I'm hearing Liz that we're two for two. We were right on that one too, because <laughs> we're always saying avoid these acronyms. Yeah, you know, because yeah. you know we were thinking of changing our name to International Business Monikers. You know, just IBM yeah. for short. Um, but we heard that there's uh, some. I don't know, calculator company out there. There's some kind of... Something, I don't know. They have abacuses or something. So, um, well, we're running up against a break. So when we come back, we're going to hit a few more things, common kind of common questions that we get. And this is kind of in the trenches stuff. You know, why can't I? What prevents it? So hopefully these things will shed some insight. And a lot of this, as you are, you know, elucidating here, is nuance. Mm -hmm. um, yes, in this case, no, in this case. So, and, and this is why we get hammered all the time. Well, why not? And we have mm -hmm. to kind of create the case. Well, in this case, yes, there is a lot of already use. We've talked about dilution. Um, we've talked about the goods and services category aren't a lock. You can't say, well, I'm not in that category, but yeah, but you're still related. So there is a lot of judgment. We'll talk in the next segment too about the need. When is it time to call in the professionals? And what are some tools maybe that you can do on your own in advance of that to maybe reduce the cost and at least narrow the candidates down to viable ones mm -hmm. um, before you go there. So um, we'll be right back after the break. You've been listening to Brilliant Branding. Today, we're going to get you through the trademark jungle. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Your brand is your story. And getting your story straight is the most critical and challenging component of your brand identity. That's where we come in. We're Tungsten, and we're naturally wired for brilliance. We'll help create, clarify, and communicate your brand message in ways that will make you shine. Whether you're a startup, entrepreneur, consultant, or an established business, we'll use our tools and talents to build and brighten your company identity. Why struggle with domain searches, trademark issues, and endless brainstorming when the Tungsten team can create a clear and compelling brand name that strengthens your image? Having named over 250 regional, national, and international companies, products, and services, Tungsten has a trusted track record for successful brand creation and implementation. Our proven process will focus your brand and put you center stage. Visit us at tungstenbranding.com for your free quote. That's tungstenbranding.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Brilliant Branding. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at tungstenbranding.com. Now, back to this week's program. We're talking all things trademark uh, this week. And so if you've been uh, bewildered by trademark, hopefully you're getting some insight. It is kind of a nuanced thing. It's, it's, it's kind of the common theme here. Yeah. Um, it's kind of that it, it just depends. Depends on the amount of people already using a word. It depends on your industry. It depends on how related the products are. Talk real briefly here about this term. We kind of mentioned it, but we didn't really define it. Just Let's just touch on what is confusingly similar because that seems to be the touch point with trademark. Right. So the a conflict between two trademarks is assessed for whether or not one mark is going is likely to cause confusion with the other mark. And that test is a test that's comprised of 13 factors, although what factors are relevant really depends by the judicial circuit you're in. But for the most part, there there are 13 factors. Just 13. Just, Just to be 13. clear, there's only yeah. 13. Okay. All right. <laughs> right. It's, an e- and it's an easy balancing test. No, I mean, the, the test is uh, it looks deceptively easy, right? I mean, people look at it and, like, oh, I just have to compare two marks. Well, right. similarly, the marks is, is, is one factor. But how that factor is weighed really depends on strength. Depends heavily on uh, the relatedness of goods or services, and so those are the three factors in that that analysis that, for the most part, of them are are the most important. Um, give us just again. I'm sorry, real quick. So it's it's what three? It's similarity of the mark. Okay. Strength. Strength. And then uh, relatedness of the goods and services. Okay, so that's that's kind of a summation of what 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 they're looking for is that it's confusingly similar on the, on one or more of those three grounds. Right, and those factors though they they how you come out on them really depends on how the others are assessed. So, for instance, if you look at strength, if you conclude that a mark is strong, well, then that mark is entitled to a broad scope of protection, which means broad scope, both in terms of similarity of the marks and relatedness of the goods. So it may mean that if you're dealing with a strong mark, then you need to, as the junior user, which we refer to as the second user, um, may need to make more significant changes to your mark in order to avoid the rights of a strong senior user. So it's not okay. it's not as simple as I think people oftentimes think it is because of the way these factors interact with one each other. Well, some, I, I'm not surprised when I hear that it's a governmental thing and there's 13 considerations to it. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Yeah, yeah. It's uh, we would need to push for simplified trademark law. And let's forget taxes. Let's simplify trademark. <laughs> yeah. Let's just do a straight thumbs up or thumbs down on a web app. You know what I mean? Right. There wanna, you go. Well, we'll talk about Bob Crow- before we go. So Crow- yeah, Crow- that's- right. Just like oh, let the Crow- there you go. Yeah, let the Romans decide it. We'll bring the name out and we'll just <laughs> there you it. go. Okay, quick question. I'll give you another uh, curveball. So, you know, you see this a lot with these grocery store chains. They want to sell their own private label thing. So there's Mm -hmm. Dr. Pepper, which to me is hugely distinctive, very different, very unique. And a knockoff comes out, Mr. Pibb. Well, Dr. Mr. Pepper Pibb. Why wouldn't... They taste similar. And they taste similar. And it's just so stunningly obvious that it's, you know, a ripoff, Right. But mm-hmm. why does that get? Why did that go through? Huh? Why? Yeah. Why? Tell me. Yeah, I'll tell you. Because I, re- yeah, I'm, I'm the ultimate decision maker on all things. Yes. No. Right. Well, that's. Uh, what... <laughs> well, you know, you look at. Why did you, you let at... that go through? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, well, uh, Dr. Pepper. I mean, if you if you look at, so the similarity of the marks is considered in terms of uh, sight, sound, meaning, and then overall commercial impression. So, you know, it's not, like I said, there's no, no science to it, but, you know, you look at the, the similarity in terms of sight. I mean, they, the only really term that they, or letter that they have in common is the letter P. Uh, the sight, you know, the sound of the marks are different. Now, the meaning, maybe there's some similarity in the meaning between pepper and pib, but... You know, the, the, if you if you find similarity on meaning, I would say that at least in my experience, rarely is that going to be enough to overcome this similarity in sight and sound. Okay. So, oh, that's although meaning is part of the equation, it's it's not as 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 persuasive or prominent as the similarity in terms of sight and sound. So that would be my my guess as to why those two are allowed to, to coexist is that there may be some similarity in meaning, but visually and phonetically they're probably sufficiently different. You know, and I think from a branding perspective, we would avoid those simply because we say you don't want to sound like you're the ripoff brand, you yeah. know, that you're the me too. Right. Yeah. So now, you got another thing just to keep in mind as well when you're doing, especially you're searching is who's the owner. Because right. oftentimes, you know, even if in this situation, right, you think that, well, PIB is sufficiently different from Pepper, we should be able to coexist. Oh, well, who owns uh, Dr. Pepper? Is that Coke or is that Pepsi? I don't even know. Is that? Uh, you, you, know, know. you know, I think that's, uh, is that Snapple, Pepsi? The Snapple, or Snapple. Group? I don't yeah, know. right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, right. Snapple might be extremely active when it comes to trademark enforcement. So, you know, even mm-hmm. if you think there might be a possibility of of coexisting, you still may want to avoid it because you know that Snapple might nonetheless come after you, right? Yeah, if they're known to be litigious or whatever. We were warned off a Disney mark one time, and it was really very, very distantly related. And they just had a bathroom item, um, a toothbrush, and our product was mm-hmm. a, a toiletry item, and it was not the same word or anything. But the, the attorney told us it's Disney. Pick somebody smaller. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it was very little chance. They said, here's the thing, very little chance that this is a conflict, but if it is, you're just, you're dead. You're, you're, you're a dead man walking. <laughs> I agree and, because, you know, 
trademark bullying, I would say, is is a real problem. Um, and it's a real problem for small businesses because if a Disney or some other large company throws you into uh, a proceeding before what's called the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board, you know, you could be looking at you know, tens, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. And yeah. startup companies, small companies don't have that. I mean, we could do a whole segment on just trademark bullying, but yeah. that's something definitely to consider when you're doing your searching. Uh, who's yeah. the owner? Yeah. David and Goliath is 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 a, f- a fun story, but um, you know he got lucky. Was, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So to keep it moving along, when is it time to get a trademark attorney involved in the process? I mean, from from the brainstorming session, I just come in and I dump a thousand names on you, or should yeah. I wait until I've gleaned the one that I'm absolutely in love with and there's no other name, and we've got one week till the trademark till the uh, till the show <laughs> trade show starts. So make it happen. Well, I would say just as sort of a best practice, I mean, anyone thinking of starting a new business or even launching a new product, as far as all the hundred things that you need to do to accomplish that, naming and clearance searching should be at the front of that list because it gives you some flexibility in terms of what name you ultimately want to move forward with. And so I, I would I would not leave those tasks to <laughs> one week before you're going to launch your product, right? That's not the best time to do that. Um, and then as far as working with an attorney, you want to come to the attorney with the short list of names that you are strongly considering moving forward with. Um, you know, attorneys, the review of an attorney, I think, is important for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, I think you do want that professional set of eyes on the name that you're ultimately going to move forward with because the cost to rebrand, should you have to do that, is significant. I mean, you're talking yeah, about it's you know, enormous. thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. Um, the second is that the attorney, once they review the search results and give you an opinion, that opinion is privileged. And it provides you with, I call an insurance policy against a an accusation of bad faith. So, should you move forward with a name that has been cleared by an attorney, and sometime down the road, another party accuses you of infringing on their trademark, and it happens because there is no perfect search out there, and sometimes. Just to put it bluntly, there are some crazy people out there. So yes. they, ha- they have an inflated sense of how yes, yes. broadly their rights mm-hmm. are are defined, right? Mm-hmm. So it may happen that you get someone down the road. It's kind of just, unfortunately, a, a cost of doing business sometimes. But if that happens, when you if you've had an attorney that's reviewed a search, that opinion then becomes your evidence of your good faith adoption of your trademark. So you avoid kind of all the nasty stuff that can come along with finding a bad fit. Yeah. In uh, other words, I think what I hear you saying is you can't be accused of, well, you knowingly, you know, copied us or you knew that that was our name and you maliciously, you know, try, tried to overtake our brand. So you're eliminating the whole intentional malicious you know, so if you've reduced it to, it was a benign thing. 
You exactly. Know, I, you, you, as, you are saying to the world that I was a responsible trademark owner. I did the right thing. I did my search. I had an attorney review it, and they told me I was fine, and I and I relied on my advice account. So in, in terms of using a, a service like ours, a naming firms, do you find them helpful? Does that Have you interacted much with firms, and maybe not just maybe widen it to branding firms, where they've come with candidates, or do you find they just, just dump a lot of creative wish list stuff that gets the client all hyped up, like on, on sugar, and then you have to disappoint them? Or, I mean, no, what's I think been- my experience with branding firms, and I, I work with a lot of them, is they're very thoughtful about the names that they bring to their clients for consideration. I mean, it's, they understand, I think the, the emotion that you know, clients have and that are wrapped up uh, in a name. It's actually, it's very interesting, at least from what I've experienced is that unlike any other form of intellectual property, clients are just personally attached to that name because it just, it embodies them. It's it's like it's almost an, it's an ex, their business is an extension of them. So this yeah. there's so much meaning into this name that they just get really connected to it. And so I think you know, like I said, working with uh, branding firms, all of you are, are very thoughtful about what names you bring to those clients, so that when they do fall in love with one, you know, it's pretty pretty well going to survive legal scrutiny. Yeah. Because because there's been thought to the uniqueness in the story, there is the arbitrary nature to it that isn't descriptive and so forth. Well, good. Well, we've got a wrap today. So, um, any final thoughts um, as far as what is your best piece of advice for those just starting out, um, looking on their to go on their entrepreneurial journey when it comes to their name? So, my my best piece of advice is is to not neglect the trademark search, and it's something that that needs to be part of your uh, to do list. Um, and whether you do that through working it with an attorney, I would recommend and I would suggest that startup companies not try to do this on their own. It, it, trademark searching is nuanced. It's not really fit well for the do-it-yourself type of person. So fully understanding that every startup has its own uh, cost restrictions, that's why I created Bob. Bob is a trademark search tool, tool that is an affordable a way for entrepreneurs to get that comfort over uh, the names that they ultimately settle on. And least, and least get it to a short list. Well, listen, Brad, it's been a pleasure to have you on. I'm sure we could do segments within segments yeah, within absolutely. segments on uh, trademark. But this has been very enlightening, as we like to do here on Brilliant Branding. And we really appreciate having you. What's the best way for folks to contact you? So you can contact me at uh, uh, bwalls at Winthrop.com. Okay. And they can always go to your site, um, uh, trademarkbob.com as well. That's right. All right. Well, thanks for having, um, for having provided such insightful yeah, information. Absolutely. And we look forward to collaborating in the future and, uh, and being part of illuminating the world on the best practices here at Brilliant Branding. We look forward to everyone joining us again next week. And until then, have a, a bright week. Thank you for listening to Brilliant Branding. 
Please join host Phil Davis and co-host Liz Heemstra for another edition of the program next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, stay brilliant. Stay brilliant.